Welcome to Museum Chat Live, a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to... Kathleen Powell, Supervisor of Historical Services and Curator at the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre. Adrian Petrie, Visitor Services Coordinator at the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre. And Sarah Nixon, Public Programmer here at the museum. Our community is filled with diverse stories, and we recognize that our story begins with the Indigenous peoples of this land. We acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on lands that have been inhabited by Indigenous peoples for millennia, and we would like to honor the centuries of Indigenous peoples who walked on Turtle Island before us. What is a museum? This is a question we often ask students when we deliver outreach programs in local classrooms or virtually as this has been a reality for the past year. Of course, we'll get students who answer back with dinosaurs or no touching, but more often than not, we'll also get really inspiring responses that touch on our role as a place of learning, exploration, and discovery. In the past year or so, More and more museum professionals are asking the question, what is a museum? This introspection has emerged in the face of monumental change happening all at once. Change in rapidly evolving technology and how quickly it is integrated into our daily lives. Change in addressing systemic racism in response to ever increasing BIPOC activism and the Black Lives Matter movement. Change in listening to indigenous communities and working towards reconciliation change in the face of a global pandemic that has exposed serious gaps in our society when it comes to access to healthcare, housing, employment, and more. With all this in mind, museum professionals are rethinking what a museum is. What is our place in this rapidly altering landscape? What is our responsibility to the communities we serve as their needs shift and evolve? How can museums not only remain relevant, but emerge as leaders and innovators? The world is changing rapidly and museums must change with it. Over the next several episodes of Museum Chat Live, we'll be asking these hard questions. Each episode will focus on an issue top of mind in the museum field, where we'll chat with special expert guests and share our research and insights as we consider the future of museums. We hope these conversations will offer valuable reflections, enlightening perspectives, and actionable recommendations to address these issues. On this episode of Museum Chat Live, we consider how museum work has changed over the past year in the face of a global pandemic. As with many professions and fields, the pandemic has laid bare the challenges in museum work and has also brought clarity to our strengths and resilience. We're here to get into the nitty gritty and ask how museums have had to drastically shift focus, innovate to reach audiences, remain relevant in our communities, and continue our overarching purpose as custodians of the past to preserve and interpret history in entirely new ways. What we thought was going to be a three-week closure of the museum doors in mid-March 2020 has turned into a dramatic upending and reconfiguring of how we do museum work. Museum workers are a resourceful and creative bunch. Wearing many hats and finding inventive solutions to make a little go a long way in the face of uncertainty. Museums also often look to one another for inspiration, support, and camaraderie. 
So as we discuss the particular challenges museums have faced due to the pandemic and how the field is rebounding, we've invited former colleague and now Interpretive Services Coordinator at Halton Region Heritage Services, Meredith Leonard, to share her experiences and insights. Welcome to Museum Chat Live, Meredith. As a former colleague here, we are so pleased to have you back with us. I'll be playing a host for this discussion, and I look forward to hearing what everyone has to say about such issues that are so close to home for each of us. But first, let's start with a little bit about our esteemed guest. Uh, Meredith, can you tell us a little bit about your background, your work, and the many hats that you wear? Sure. Oh, thank you so, so much for having me back. Um, I got to spend four and a half years as the Visitor Services Coordinator at the St. Catharines Museum before I moved to my present job, um, where I am the Interpretive Services Coordinator for Halton Region Heritage Services. Um, which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, but here I coordinate our region-wide heritage network um, as well as public-facing products. So our programs and our exhibitions, as well as the advisory services that we run for our partners. Um, like a lot of other community museums, we're a really small organization. Um, right now, there's only two of us. So generally, everything is sort of like all hands on deck. So I also support collections and curatorial work, as well as just sort of the general administration involved in running any heritage organization. That's awesome. So I think then I'm really excited to have you here um, to share that experience the, the very large capacity that you're involved with in Halton. Uh, so I want to start the conversation back in March 2020. The world has just shut down. We did not know for how long. <laughs> and um, this is questions for everyone, of course, but what do you think was the biggest challenge facing community museums at the outset of the pandemic. Um, and then to fast forward a year later, how do we think museums are coping with this new normal? Sure, um, maybe I'll just back up a tiny little bit. Um, our organization operates a little bit differently than a traditional museum, so that's really impacted our pandemic experience. We used to be the Halton Region Museum, which was sort of a sleepy settler museum in a conservation area that had a large agricultural collection. Um, it was hard to get to, had a really low community profile, and it didn't actually speak to um, the current community. Milton, where we're located, is one of the fastest growing communities in all of Ontario and the country. And so this sort of like early settler, proud pioneer story doesn't really connect with them anymore. So we had a new master plan come in in 2014, and we actually closed the physical doors to our museum, which in a way kind of set us up better than some other organizations for this pandemic. And what we do now is outward facing heritage. So we take our collections, our services, we support our partners in our community and help them to do history and help them to tell our stories. So we have a really good um, connected network, um, just in terms of personal relationships. We know the partners who engage in heritage in the area, but we have very, very little digital presence. We have sort of a landing page um, that's part of the regional structure. Um, we have no social media. We just got a newsletter. So we have like a little mailing list, but we had no digital infrastructure. Um, and we didn't, we weren't allowed to have Zoom or anything like that at the beginning of the pandemic. So we were sort of like, how are we going to keep in touch with all of our partners and many of our partners, like volunteers at the museum, a lot of them are seniors, a lot of them live alone. So there's sort of that like social aspect of it as well. We just wanted to like be able to check in on them, make sure we're still connecting with them. 
So we had sort of all of these challenges and no tools to do it with. So that's sort of where we were in March 2020, um, not knowing really how to proceed um, and sort of not knowing what tools we even needed to do this work. Yeah, it was a challenge. No, really not a lot of information and not a lot of notice and all of a sudden drop everything and take your computer home with you. <laughs> Come exactly, back when, you're, yeah. when we give you the directions to do so. <laughs> and we'll figure it out as we go along. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was kind of challenging. Uh, I think it was pretty stressful because I was on vacation the week after we closed. Oh, no. And so poor Adrian had to deal with a lot of stuff. But... Um, but it was, uh, I think it was pretty stressful for everyone. I think back in March 2020, the biggest challenge for us at St. Catharines, I would say, as you know, a programmer, was just yeah, dropping everything and not knowing. We, there was so much that was unknown. We didn't know how long we were going to do virtual programming. Like We closed right before March break. We were lucky in that we were able to have the digital presence that some museums don't have, right? Mm-hmm. We were lucky to have these platforms available to us where we already had an audience. So as soon as we closed, it took us, I think, a day uh, to pivot in the entire March Break programming and put it online onto, onto Facebook and our blogs. And we were lucky in that sense, but we didn't know how, it wasn't a long-term plan. It was just like, okay, and we're gonna put it all on there. And oh my gosh, we have to put you know content online right now. And so there was a little bit of like a, it was kind of hectic and chaotic um, and I think over time we've gotten to a nice groove of okay what should be virtual what maybe it needs to be put on holds and having a schedule that's that's sustainable um, so that we don't get super fatigued over time because yeah 13 months later and we're still doing entirely virtual programming we're not doing anything in person so I think the unknown was 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 the biggest challenge is just yeah not knowing what was coming after Uh, I think one of the themes that's coming out of the pandemic for museums, for other industries, for communities, is that the pandemic um, amplified a lot of challenges that museums already faced. So at the outset of the pandemic, if you asked, or in February, if you asked me what our probably number one challenge is, was is the balance between quantity versus quality. And if actually, if you asked me that 100 years ago, I'd say the same thing, um, that <laughs> that's a regular conversation all the time. Um, and that what goes hand in hand with that is capacity to take things on. So the pandemic for me amplified our capacity to do good work in a high volume, uh, the issue of capacity, it it was amplified because like Sarah was saying, we didn't really have a long-term plan of how long we would have to do it. So we kind of put out testing balloons all the time. And all of a sudden we had done, you know, by the end of June, we had done a billion things. <laughs> so I guess I'll save the rest of the chat for a later question. But I think uh, in terms of general challenges, uh, the pandemic has really just amplified, uh, of course, created some new ones, but amplified the old ones that we'll definitely have to deal with at some point. It's strange because now with when we're back to whatever the new 
new thing looks like in the future where we can have in-person people again, it'll almost feel like pivoting now from digital back to in-person is going to feel like pivoting in that same direction. Like how much do we do in-person versus how much we do digital and what capacity do we have to do that? And uh, we're just going to be in the opposite direction doing the same thing again. Yeah, I think when we're sort of going back to whatever the new normal looks like, um, in this moment, we've sort of been forced to consider like, what what is our value to the community? What do museums do that's special, that's unique? And what can we sort of add to uh, this plethora of digital programming that's, that's out there? Um, so I think in some ways, it really made us think through our digital presence in a different way than we might have initially, um, and a really more fulsome kind of way where suddenly like everything we do has to be digital. That's sort of our only option. Um, so it really allowed us as an organization that didn't really have a digital strategy to do some of that big picture thinking up front um, and maybe have a little bit more freedom to do to do that thinking. Um, I think for us working within uh, regional government, there's a lot of um, a lot of red tape, a lot of steps to sort of go through to get a lot of digital pieces online. And I think the pandemic in some ways um, got rid of some of that for us um, and let us go out there with some prototypes, with some experiments, with some trials. And there wasn't necessarily the same pressure to make it perfect before we put it out there, which was, was fantastic. We were sort of not allowed to fail catastrophically, but like there wasn't sort of that same pressure, which gave us a little bit more freedom to, to try new things and to really go into uncharted territory for our organization. Yeah, and what's kind of neat about that, and maybe it's good or maybe it's bad, is that a lot of those types of things, from my experience and my perspective, I guess, is that some of those things were clunky, kind of clunky, because they were experimental or they were kind of like, maybe this isn't the right content for this particular platform or or whatever the case might be. And maybe the, maybe those get weeded out in the future, uh, and that's okay. Um, you know? Mm-hmm. I like that it provided us an opportunity to experiment, especially at the beginning uh, when we kind of took on more than we probably should have <laughs> at the very beginning. Uh, it did allow us to the time to think about um, what, exactly like you say, Adrian, what worked and what doesn't work and what is better for what platforms and those kinds of things. And uh, I thought that was nice to have that opportunity. We don't always have that chance, and so. You know, even though we were in this really weird, crazy pandemic time, uh, it still did give us the chance to think about, think more fulsomely on the digital program that we probably wouldn't have done if it hadn't happened. We would have just gone along with what we were already doing. And I think too across the industry that perhaps the, the, the funding uh, models and sort of the response to some of these issues that museums are facing were also kind of clunky because it was kind of like putting, again, like experimenting with what might work and uh, almost a one-size-fits-all kind of model for some of the solutions. And clearly that's not working 100% of the time. It's better than nothing, but it, you know, the going forward, it's, uh, it's interesting to see how fast you know, government and industry can move uh, and what the result of that is like really great response, but also sort of a, a sort of a clunky response. Like, here's a huge pot of money. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Gotta go. Um, and so like, uh, yes, this is wonderful, but what am I supposed to do with this? I, I mean, you know what I mean? So it's, it's interesting. Um, one thing I wanted to note that like, while we're, um, we are doing 
probably more than we did in the past. The exciting part of it is that we're also researching and interpreting a lot of stories that we otherwise wouldn't. Uh, I don't know about you, Meredith, but um, you know we've had this list of things to do, videos to produce, podcasts to produce, uh, and and those kinds of things when you're doing you know 10 school tours every week is a bit too much to do so it's really really been nice to at the same time uh now at the same time as being difficult it's been nice as well to take things that have been on our list for years and years and years off the back burner uh, and luckily we're really fortunate to have access to our archives and resources to be able to pull those programs together i think access to archives is probably another podcast but uh, during the pandemic and what kind of difficulty that is. But, uh, you know, we've been really lucky to be able to have the uh, focus and energy and, dare I say, time to put together some really high-quality, well-researched, uh, new stories out there. Uh, and that's been really exciting. Yeah, definitely. I also found with our programs, we're a bit, we've been able to, and I'm sure you have to reach new audiences, um, with these sort of digital programs and audiences who maybe weren't engaged with us before, audiences from further afield. Um, and we're also able to engage different experts and expertise. Um, a lot of my work is centered around our heritage network and their professional development and advisory services. So we were actually able to tap people from Toronto, from sort of the, the West Coast and get a lot of a lot of input and a lot of um, expertise that normally we don't necessarily have access to or that would have been financially prohibitive for us to have otherwise. Um, experimenting with a, a workshop we did about learning experience design that probably not wouldn't have flown before, um, but because everyone is sort of exploring these spaces, we're able to lean into some different topics and really um, really reach out to a new audience. We had people from, from Halton Region, but also we had people from Portugal join. Um, so it was just nice to have that sort of museum community feel um, and I really felt and I'm not sure if, if you guys had the same experience but we're sort of everyone is like all in it together so whether we were talking to students and teachers they were much more they were more um, patient and more forgiving um, and sort of everyone sort of contributed to make it make it better um, the same with our with our webinars I mean there have been some technical difficulties and people weren't unmute or were muted like those kind of things and people are just really patient, really forgiving, and really um, supportive in that environment, which has been a really lovely piece to see um, within the community for the museum world, but also sort of for our local community. Yeah, the audience is huge now, too. I have to say, like, in in an in-person tour, we might reach 20 people for the life of a tour. But now we might reach, you know, 150 people during the live event tour. I'm thinking of Black History Month in particular. Sarah's tours were extremely popular during her tour, but then another 300 people had watched by the end of the day. And another, I don't know, Sarah, you, could, you can brag if you want, another thousands, thousands, billions, billions have seen it now. Um, and the, the sort of the longevity of that information is a good feeling. Like, it's nice that it's out there. Um, but from at the same time, the thing that's missing is that in-person connection. So at the same time, the disconnect from the public in person is really hard for me as an interpreter, and I'm sure others have experienced this as well. I remember doing my first pandemic video, uh, not a video about the pandemic, but pandemic time video. 
uh, last March break, it was, I was interpreting the, uh, Lock 3, just doing a regular Lock 3 tour of, uh, of, of, Lock, of Lock 3. <laughs> and I was standing on the platform and I was standing in front of the camera and the building was closed and no one was around. And it, was, it wasn't cold, but it was cold enough that I didn't want to be out there forever. And I was getting so frustrated about what I was doing. Uh, I know how to interpret the canal. It's something that I've done a million times, <clears throat> but I didn't have any public feedback. I didn't have the questions. I didn't have the conversations. I didn't have the nods of understandings. Um, I didn't even have the signs of disengagement of someone looking at their phone, which is you know, a silent cue to tell you to wrap it up. I was really quite upset about it. Um, so despite the advantages and wonderful things about virtual or online or digital, whatever you want to call it, kind of programming, um, I think that nothing can really in place in-person experiences, especially in terms of what we would call um, um, uh, personal interpretation. That ability to connect the visitor is almost uh, to the resources in an in a instant way, in a meaningful way, in an emotional way, is almost severed when they're just watching a video. So like it does open up these doors for conversation, uh, but the, 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 in, the juice of the interpretation is kind of, is, is, isn't there. Uh, and that's, I think that's what's missing for me. That's why I really like uh, the chat feature on the live things that we're doing. So to me, that like totally floats my boat, the, uh, the live chat on the YouTube uh, virtual lecture series and the live chat when we're doing Facebook live videos, because at least you're getting interaction with the people that are out there. And it's so great to see that. And they're so uh, gracious and uh, really interesting. And it's great to see how far people are away. And it feels like you're in a community. But I agree with you, the top hat, uh, that first top hat video we did that like the week after we closed was it felt the same way. I would say discombobulating <laughs> is the word. It's just like, mm-hmm. finding that equilibrium, like yeah. finding our feet is was took a while with our um, partners in time school program um, where we help students actually create exhibitions in their own spaces um, a couple of our teachers wanted to do it during the pandemic and I was really hesitant at first because it's such a hands-on program Um, our workshop like the kids sort of like actively curate things they write on the board they write on their desks Um, so when we trans that to be online um, we did sort of the workshop virtually and I'm just speaking to all these black squares on the screen and it was just such a strange experience and normally like you said you're able to get those cues from the students you're able to involve them in the conversation and it actually ends up being a really wonderful community building exercise but on the screen you're like I don't know um, but I was really really heartened to see um, the products so we sort of did the virtual um, workshop but the kids actually did all of their design work and then sent it to me we print them physically and they go back into their schools Um, and their work was really incredible and really thoughtful so it was nice to see that even though I felt like they were falling asleep and maybe doing something else that they they were listening and they were they were engaged and they sort of made they made it their own in this situation and the teachers noted that 
that it was really important for the students to see their physical work, to be back and to have other people see it in the school. That sort of was a really big deal for them, which is why we did it again um, just this last quadmester, I guess. Um, so we've actually, the students just sent me their work, so hopefully they'll get it back at some point um, this year before, before the end of the year. Although same thing happened last year and we just brought it back in the fall and the kids were still there. So it was nice to sort of see their work um, and sort of like that really a time capsule of that moment in time. Um, but I think I think hybrid programming is is here to stay for us at least. Um, and so just finding that that balance, right? Um, in terms of what's gonna work, how do we really make use of our resources? Like we have the things and the things are really important and what make us special and how do we balance that with a social online experience, with a great learning experience that's open and accessible. So I think that's something that we're still struggling with and that the museum field as a whole is really, really going to grapple with over the next little while. Yeah, I was very struck by that particular aspect of museum work in the readings that uh, Sarah, <laughs> Sarah sent us ahead to read for those people out there listening. Uh, we had some pre-sources to kind of help feed our discussion and uh, the thing that struck me the most was this whole moving moving things to digital and not considering the fact that the, the live things are so important. Um, I think hybrid is going to be the way to go. I can't see, no matter what has happened in the world over the years, I can't see that people aren't going to want to see the real thing. Um, you know, you can look at the Mona Lisa a million times online, but it's not the same thing as seeing it in real life. And so I think there's still value in the museum being a place where people can come and see authentic, uh, real tangible history. Um, but we also, I also think there's a lot of value in what we were able to, what we've been able to provide as um, connectors into the community, into many, many communities, not just our own local community. I think of, um offering these virtual tours, the school tours, we've been able to reach schools that would never be able to come to the museum otherwise because bus costs are so expensive. Uh, and so to be able to reach those kind of audiences, I find really valuable. So it'll be interesting to see how we, like we've been saying, balancing in-person um, versus virtual and being able to reach these wide audiences. And I think also, when we go back to in-person programming to really think about, well, what works for in-person and then what can we shift in virtual to be more meaningful in virtual as well? Because there are, as we were experimenting with virtual programming in general over the past year, we've really learned what works, what platforms work, what do we use Instagram for, what do we use Twitter for, Facebook, YouTube. Um, so I think having that in mind too, as we go forward and, um, and I think building that into the programming like right now we have these programs that we've just okay well we have to put it on virtual because there's no other opportunity right now but i think as we develop more programs in the future we'll have to really think about building these virtual elements into the program and what might be different in person versus the virtual elements uh, so I'm, i am excited to see where what comes of that and how we can make it more sustainable because it, i don't you know, we've been able to connect with so many people online that I would hate to just like, okay, well, sorry, the pandemic's over. We can't, we're not interested in you anymore. Com computer says no. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I, I think it'd be, we 
worked really hard over the past 13 months to like build these relationships with people on YouTube like who come to our virtual lectures every other week like they are committed like I would hate to lose that relationship that's meant a lot to the viewers but also meant a lot to us to be able to make these connections with people that wouldn't otherwise be able to come to the museum so uh, yeah I'm interested to see how we're able to build these elements into program development going forward. I think it's going to be really important to uh, for us to ensure that we're very thoughtful about it. I think that you know we're a, a, I'm sure Meredith, you have a similar situation. We're kind of our own unique thing in our organizations, uh, comparatively speaking. And so, uh, what works for one area of a corporation might not work the same for. The museum or for cultural services or for recreation or whatever and just being really thoughtful about what those things are the best what platforms are the best aren't necessarily the best for every single type and so i think as long as we remain thoughtful about it i think it's going to be a really great and rich move forward and I think what we can do digitally that we can't do in person that can enhance the in-person experience and really connecting those two pieces um the example that comes to my mind is um, there's this really cool experience with the Nightwatch Rembrandt painting online where you can like zoom in and see the brushstrokes and like learn about all the different people and that's really sort of a supplement to seeing it in person so it's sort of being able to balance those things to give people a real value added experience and encouraging them to engage with us in different ways online in person and a mixture of the two depending on the program or the particular exhibit that we're running at the time yeah, I, th I think what we're leaning towards is talking a little bit about um, the innovation that our industry prides itself on. We're so uh, innovation thinking, I guess, is a really good, good way to describe the museum sector generally. Um, what's been hard about the pandemic is that it's, we, going back to our discussion about time and capacity and, and quantity and quality, is that it's been hard to innovate. For, for us, we put what we know and what we do already online. So there's no difference in the program delivery other than how the public is receiving it. Um, and just leveraging that existing social media connection with people and growing that. But the, the virtual experience is pretty much the same as the in-person, except for what I was talking about earlier as that, that in-person connection. I find it hard to think about innovation when, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit later too, uh, when it's red alert and when I'm like in the trenches. So I'm really looking forward to post pandemic playing more with the, the hybrid model as you were talking about Meredith and um, seeing how, what I'm excited to see what kind of innovation comes out of us being done with this. <laughs> Because I think there's a ton of creativity that's been built up over the last 18 months that we don't really have a way to, to deal with because we're so busy doing right now. And I'm looking forward to the opportunity to be innovative again, you know? And plan around innovation, yeah. too. It's hard to yes, plan, plan when you have no idea when the next lockdown is coming or what your yeah. future looks like. So while you yeah. have all these great ideas, you sort of don't want to action them unless you can carry them through. Um, so yeah. I think that's been a real sort of stumbling block for us. And just sort of like we're a little paralyzed and that we've got this cool stuff that we could do. But do we want to do it? Is this the right time to do it? Is this what our audience needs right now? It's, it's just a really difficult time, like you said, to, to innovate, to try some new things in a lot of ways. We've got a lot of freedom, but in a lot of ways, there's a lot of constraints on us at the moment. 
Yeah, I have to say that we're probably the reason why we're in lockdown three times now because every oh. time we've had a lockdown is the same day that we've opened a new exhibit. So the first lockdown, I was literally installing the exhibit while I'm looking at emails about sending everybody home. So it opened like the next day. Uh, Adrian just opened an exhibit the day we went into lockdown. And, uh, and then we also opened another exhibit in the middle of that pretty much the same day we went into lockdown. So sorry, we're, we're three for three. <laughs> it's 100% my fault because I'm scheduling it. <laughs> so actually, you know what? The postcard exhibit that we just opened is a really good example of almost a hybrid model because. Um, and like how a museum can do a community interactive exhibit with an online component and in person. So for example, um, we asked the community to submit uh, their own postcards from their own collection. But the process of doing that was the most pandemic process ever, right? They had to, you know, come in and observe all the social, uh, all the um, COVID protocols, but then sort of figuring out uh, what postcards they were going to do was all uh, online and then they brought them into scan and like sort of took a step back and like all of that kind of stuff and then we didn't even use their postcards we, reprodu we reproduced them um, and uh, and then additionally all that other stuff was going online so it's a very uh, again a hybrid model kind of thing but the um, the worst part was the the media was here on the last day before lockdown the day basically opened to grab a picture for the article that was going out promoting the exhibit and the reporter said to me so we're gonna run the article we're just gonna change the story <laughs> that it'll be oh because it was like new exhibits open come in and see it and then no you can't come in and see it but come in and see it after. I think the engagement that the public showed in wanting to share their own personal collections as part of that exhibit was a great uh, kind of indication of the fact that people still want to have something to do with the tangible objects and yeah. that those are still really super important because you got great engagement from the public when they could have just stayed home and said you know what I'm not comfortable going anywhere yet uh, but they didn't and they wanted to participate however that was going to look they wanted to be involved and to bring their own things to show that as part of you know, our story. So now that we're talking about exhibits and even just how visitors, you know, want that tangible experience in museums, I think I'd like to shift our conversation uh, to talk about how, you know, these COVID-19 protocols that were, when we are open, when museum spaces are open, so many of these COVID-19 protocols to ensure safety and distancing, they're really changing how museums, how we're able to operate to with the public and also how visitors are experiencing our sites. Uh, so I wanted to, to try to pose the question of what you think will be the lingering impacts of the pandemic in regards to uh, visitor experience, either you know, in our own facilities or, or generally in the museum field. I think there was a huge push for hands-on interaction and people spent so much time and so much money doing these like touch screens and things you could engage with. And I think that's going to have a moment of rethinking um, and adapting. And I'm not sure what that's going to look like for us. Um, I'm not sure what that's going to look like for the field, but I think that's something that's on, on everyone's minds. Um, and, and for us, 
our exhibits go out to public spaces. So the way in which we produce those, um, because a lot of the fabrication is done in-house, is going to have to change. We were sort of working on building hands-on things, things you could touch. Um, and now it's really, what, what can stand up to cleaning? How can this be wiped down? Um, and just to sort of make sure that we're still creating an accessible exhibit for the public, but one that's going to comply with protocols that are likely going to be in place for, for quite some time. And how can we still create that intimate experience with history and with objects when people have to stay six feet apart um, and can't get too close and can't touch anything. Um, and I, if you guys have answers to this, I'm super excited to hear them. Um, we're, I'm still figuring out what how, how we're going to be able to build those relationships we've made with our audiences um, and keep them engaged given all of these other, um, these other constraints and concerns that they're going to have visiting spaces. I think one of the benefits of the there's like this whole drawback versus benefit thing about having to do all these things digitally, school kids doing all of their stuff digitally, people being on their screen from home all day long. Um, one of the things that actually helps us is that people just want to get away from that and, and come in and get a, a, an experience that doesn't include a screen. Um, and so I think we're kind of already on you know, the, the first step up in the, the whole ladder of what's going to happen next because we're providing something that they just want to get away from all that digital after a while. And so come here and you don't have to worry about that so much. Um, but yeah, the hands-on thing has been a challenge. I also think that visitor flow has been really um, bit challenging is to figure out the visitor flow. It, it was always a consideration when we were looking at things, but now visitor flow in only one direction can be challenging when you're thinking about what your exhibits are gonna look like. When, when thinking about visitor flow, what I find interesting is how much that impacts even a visitor's experience of a space. It's less free, there's less agency in how these visitors are able to explore a facility and explore galleries at their own time. And and I find that that we're really kind of hurting people along. I hate using that word, but when you have these arrows on the ground and they can only go one way through the museum and the gallery and outside and on the viewing platform in the, the case of the St. Catharines Museum, uh, that really shapes a person's experience and they really are only able to have one way of experiencing a space. So I think we've really curated how someone experiences the space from the minute they walk into the doors to the minute they leave now. Yeah, I think it was really interesting. One of the articles was saying some of the uh, industry consultants had been working on like eliminating text for a long time and now there's no other way to interpret to people and the like even even having text encourages gathering because you have to get close enough to read it and so then you're with people reading that you know element there is a wonderful quote from the um, american alliance of museums article uh, they quoted jim dater who wrote in 1994 when offering advice on writing stories of the future quote catastrophes can happen in your own scenario um, but they cannot be the cause of a new and perfect humanity which sees the errors of its ways and now is all sweetness and light, end quote. So, like, we have to wait until... Like, we can start thinking about it, of course, but we have to wait until we know, like... There's so many questions, and this is not just our industry, uh, about how going to a concert will look like, going to the theater, going to the restaurant... So we're not the only people who are dealing with this and nobody has any answers until we know what the science is going to say about us humans, <laughs> bags of meat being in the same space. 
breathing, uh, what is it, speaking moistly in the same uh, areas. And, um, but I think, so, so some things will change because they have to, and we won't have any control over that. Uh, we've experienced that a little bit uh, in the last 18 months, like putting arrows down and wearing masks and, and installing plexi barriers. Uh, and some things will change because we want them to, like what we do with text and flow and visitor experience. But I think what's really key for me is that the pandemic has again amplified all of these elements that we used to think about. Kathy, as you mentioned, we used to think about, but you know, visitor experience was sort of how a person navigated the building and that was about it. Now it's about, you know, and like we, we wanted our facility to be clean, but now it's about like how clean is the building so that the visitor can calm down enough to enjoy themselves. So is our site now about, you know, teaching people about the past or is it is it now are we about creating an experience for people so they can just feel joy and learning will happen when they're calm and joyful, you know, like things like signage play a part in that things like the floor stickers and things like distribution of hand sanitizer play a part in that and uh i don't know if you know that particular those particular things are here to stay forever but i like the idea of approaching those things with design in mind so if we think more holistically about the visitor you know why are they coming here they're coming here to enjoy themselves they're not going to come if it's going to be an awful experience in which they feel like they've got to suit up and navigate in the most robotic way. Um, so we still have to figure out, even maybe if we can't touch things, we still have to figure out how to make our spaces enjoyable. Um, and, and that's not just for adults, for us, but for older adults and for children, for people with disabilities. Play is in, like, inherently touch-based and, and physical. And what do we, how do we facilitate play if we can't have things to play with, if we can't be playful? If the post-pandemic look of a gallery is, is reminiscent of the in-pandemic gallery, finding out a way to bring play back and joy back to our lives. We need it. <laughs> yeah. And I think while we're in this sort of in-between space where we don't quite know what we're going to do, we don't know what the end game is going to look like, I think there's a real opportunity for museums to kind of step into their power as part of a community um, and sort of do a lot of these roles that we do we do all the time, but we don't talk about it and our funders don't necessarily know that we're doing it. So I think that's a really great way to sort of shift the funding model. So like for us, like we we phone our seniors and check up on them, make sure everyone's okay. Um, we helped with digital skills. We had like a how to Zoom kind of session, um, which preceded sort of a, um, a heritage film screening. So we're able to do those sort of things that maybe aren't necessarily traditional museum things or not top of mind, but they really integrate us into our community and make us a really necessary part. And I think sort of make that argument for the value of museums um, in, in a way that's that's more um, that's that's different than it has been before. And even I think mentioning social spaces, just creating a safe space for people to be and to explore, um, and to get out of their houses and to sort of. 
be around other people i think that's huge in this in this time and so i think having that signage having that those cleaning protocols in place um, is museum work now um, and so that's really shifted the way that i look at our practice and i think those shifted the way that the field is sort of approaching it at this moment in time i will say even to that idea of what is the value of museums especially I found at the beginning of this, like back in the spring of last year, I really felt like we were a lifeline for a lot of people in our community. Like they were waiting for our virtual programs and so much gratitude on the internet yeah. thanking us for for putting something out there. And um, and I think that was, that was a chance for us to sit back and say, okay, wow, we, we really do have you know a strong role in this community. And I, I like what Meredith said about just rethinking. We're doing the same thing, but rethinking its value in the community and saying, hey, actually we have, we have a lot of relevance here and how can we make others in the community see it rather than you know continue to do the work quietly here, but how can we get loud about it and say, you know what, museums are really important. We've been doing a lot of important work for a long time. And now that you know there's so much isolation and we're, we're also just desperate for connection, museums have really been able to step into that and say, okay, hey, we'll bring everyone together. Is our intention to rename this podcast the Mic Drop Podcast? <laughs> because we are just like, I 100% agree. I think the museum industry in general general has been a leader. And I think we should just, you know, boop boop pat ourselves on the back to to congrat to to be be thankful that we've had the opportunity, the resources, the time, all that stuff to be leaders because how many articles were out there that like, you know, by June or July of 2020 there were articles out there being like there's too much museum content online and nobody has time to go through it like what <laughs> so we were so so active and and forward thinking even in the worst time i hope that museums will be able to uh, you know this has shown that we're easily able to uh, pivot the work that we do to whatever is required uh, and you know, whatever is current at the time. And I hope that this uh, is a way for museums to uh, really think on that going forward. And I think that mm -hmm. we, we can be responsive to current issues. I think a lot of times we all know that, yeah, museums are super relevant. They connect to the current times. We know that, but we don't necessarily shout that from the rooftops to our audience. And I think this has really demonstrated that we can sort of make those connections between past, present and future and what we're dealing with and our collections and our stories help to communicate that message. They can help engage with current issues. They can help people work through things and bring them together to have conversations. And so I just, I hope that we, we've used this moment to our benefit. I hope that we continue to use this moment um, and really use this crisis for, for all of the opportunities it's presented for us and move forward in a really productive, really forward thinking community centered kind of way. So what unforeseen opportunities or successes do you think has arisen for the museum field from this past year? I think that personally I've found that uh, it's provided us a really awesome opportunity to partner with maybe organizations that we hadn't have considered as traditional partners uh, in the first place. Um, I think it also a lot of times some of these partners are seeing us as the a leader in in this this kind of programming which we always thought ourselves as but now others are seeing that and uh, so I think that it has raised the uh, the profile of museums 
a bit uh, over the course of the pandemic, not just museums, but cultural organizations in general. Um, so I've seen that as a big positive, uh, that you know, being able to work with more people just opens the tent bigger, and I, I really like that idea. Um, whether it continues, who knows, but at least, you know, we're all, we've, we've at least given it a try and we're kind of, you know, put our toe in the water for a little while and we'll see where that takes us in the future, but it, it's only going to take us in a, a good and new direction um, as we learn new things about our, our industry. Definitely, and, and I think it's really expanded the public's notion of museums, what museums can be and what museums can, can do. Many organizations have gone outside their walls. They've done outdoor exhibitions. They've done exhibitions in public places. They've done um, rental kits that you can take into your home. So just sort of expanding that idea of museums and history can be in a community in a variety of different places. It doesn't necessarily have to only be in this one physical space. I think digital applications have made this more possible. I think sort of going into non-traditional spaces has made this possible. And I think like Kathy said, this is a good, it's a good direction for our field. It's raised our profile um, and it's potentially gonna allow us to do some new and interesting things, work with different organizations um, and have museum and historical content in places where normally you wouldn't, you wouldn't think about finding it. Perhaps it's a, a um, it's a desire for the content that we create or the the interpretation or the, the, the meaningful uh, work that we do, but something changed during the pandemic because, you know, especially here at the museum, we pride ourselves on outreach and being a part of the community, but I don't know if everyone saw us as, as sort of like, oh, the museum is over there, or if we were a part of the community and something has changed where we, it feels like we've like uh, stepped up put on our superhero capes and stepped into the into the gap to provide something I don't I can't really figure out what the something is but it feels like um, people looked to us and I think that that signifies two things that we were already leaders and that people while they might not know the finite details of what we do uh, still have a good sense that museums are a part of their lives and the community. I think it's been a great opportunity to sort of step into that power that we all knew we had, but that society yeah. didn't necessarily know that we that we had, and to really become, like Adrian said, those integral parts of our community um, that are that are necessary um, and that everyone recognizes that are necessary and play an important role, which I think is only going to help us um, as we move forward. I think that also, um, while it seemed. Well, it didn't seem to us, it was a reality to us that everything was changing uh, as we were doing our work going forward through the pandemic. Uh, we also are seen as a very stabilizing influence in the, like museums are, are always seen as being kind of like a rock. They're, they're there, they're going to be there, they're not going anywhere. That's the whole nature of what we do as a business is to, to take things from one generation to the next and keep it preserved into that next generation. And so while our work seemed like it was crazy, it was all over the place, it was all new, it was like lots going on. In actual fact, the museum was, is a stabilizing force uh, as, we, uh, as we move forward. Like clearly we as a sector still need to consider, uh, you know, the, the big issues in society like uh, race and colonialism and, um, you know, all of the things that have impacted our world in the past and how we, how we tell those stories and how we're, we're influencing 
how those stories are being told in the world, but otherwise, museums really are a stabilizing force in the in the community in a community in general. And I think that helped mm-hmm. to provide some level of you know flat. You know, we know the museum is there. <laughs> we know they're doing this kind of work, uh, and uh, I think that's that was also important. And I don't think we give all kinds of credit to that. Uh, very often and I think that losing a lot of the performing arts and a lot of the arts sector really brought that into stark light uh, when that wasn't there anymore and people thought it was going to be there for you know it's always going to be there for you to be able to just go and and enjoy Um, losing that I think brings into stark contrast is what are the things that you value the most in your, your community so then to, to wrap up this conversation, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the legacy of all of this. I think this has really changed people's perception of history. This is a historical moment. We are all living in this historical moment and our stories are important and telling those stories in the future is going to be important. So just having people think of, of writing down their stories, talking to their family, I think it's really impacted the way in which people see history and see their own relationship to history. It's not this thing that so far um, in, in the past, that history is now. So I think for us, that's made museums and the work we do more contemporary and more relevant. And I think that's gonna serve us really well as we move forward. Yeah, I saw an article where someone was talking about in historical moments, people don't actually think about those things. Like they're not actually thinking about how am I experiencing this historical moment right now? Um, And uh, it was the same like uh, this person mentioned the Roaring Twenties and how, you know, at the time of the Roaring Twenties, people weren't taking the time to write the journal about, oh, I'm loving this time. I got lots of money. It's, you know, really free and, you know, society is changing. I'm really enjoying it. That kind of really made me take pause a little bit. Will it take 10 years before people really start to think about it? Uh, I mean, I think personally, I've been kind of complacent thinking a little bit about it in that the newspaper is doing such a great job of keeping a record of what's happening, which we didn't have the first time, like in the 1918 pandemic, we didn't have that kind of newspaper coverage. We had some, but not the same to the same extent. Uh, And so like, I wonder, you know, am I being too complacent as a museum person thinking that the newspaper's coverage is going to be there for us to to use in 30 years? (laughs) I guess is really the question. We talked about the visitor experience and the front facing aspect of museum work uh, throughout the podcast, but we haven't really talked about the challenge that closing archives and collections to researchers has had. Again, we're very fortunate that we've been able to access our own because we work here. But I think the biggest frustration of our friends in academia is that they can't get in. And research requires constant attention and motivation. It's Once you get going, it's so important to keep going. It's, it's great to say that we've done all this stuff, but at the same time, so much has just stopped. So I think a a legacy might be, one, looking at how we provide access to our collections, and two, advancing that so that the next time something restricts access to our collections, it's not this same debilitating force to an an entire batch of research and projects that is so important to the work that we do for visitors. You know, we can't tell visitors about stuff if we don't have the research. So it's huge, hugely important for us, I think, to take a, and really for the industry to take an important look that, you know, if your collection wasn't accessible, what are we doing? How can we 
fix that in the in the years to come? How can we advance that? We again, one of those things that was amplified by the pandemic. We had been working on it forever. Thank goodness here at the museum we have e-museum up so people can at least access some of the collection uh we have a, a robust um research process that people can at least still ask questions can still get photos can still get some information but what about places that just like nope, just closed 100 percent, and you know that's a, a huge legacy that we have to deal with well i want to thank all of you for coming on here today to talk about uh, the pandemic, how it's impacted museum work, museum field, and what this might mean for the future. I, I know I learned a lot from each of you, and I hope uh, I hope our listeners get to just have a different perspective and a different insight into you know what it's been like to work in a museum, to get history out into the public uh, during this, this crisis, this global health crisis. So uh, thank you all for joining. Thank you, Meredith, for coming on uh, to as a guest. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun to see everybody and get to talk with you again. That's it for this episode of Museum Chat Live. A big thank you to Meredith Leonard of Halton Heritage Services for joining us to share their incredibly insightful thoughts and experiences with us today. In the face of so much uncertainty, it's inspiring to hear stories of resilience and innovation in the museum industry. This is something we've seen in impressive ways within so many industries in our community, but we're happy to have been able to shed a little bit more light on our own work. Make sure to also subscribe to Museum Chat Live and the museum's other podcast, One Hour in the Past, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canals Centre and the City of St. Catharines.